but I'm from Toronto. And you're listening to CIUT 89.5. The sound of your city. From the roots up, CIUT 89.5 FM. Toronto. CIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener supported community radio. Travel so hard, oh, Lord. Travel so hard, don't nobody know my trouble for God. Don't nobody know my trouble for God. Oh, Lord, trouble so hard, oh, Lord. Well, amen and amen. We've been listening to the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. giving his last speech, his last sermon before his untimely death. And welcome to the Radical Reverend Show here on CIUT CIUT 89.5. I'm the temp for the next couple of months. My name is Christine Smaller and I'm taking over while Sherry DeNovo is away. And I'm so excited to introduce our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Allison Falby. We're so glad to have you on the show. Great to be here. Oh, it's so great. And how wonderful to hear the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice as he talks about how we're all God's children. And because we're all God's children, we should not be living the way that we are. The people who are not housed, who do not have enough to eat, who aren't able to go to school, who just generally don't have dignity or the opportunity to have a life well lived, uh, that's what MLK said, that we should not be living that way or allowing others to live that way. And today we're talking about what faith has to do with confronting homelessness. So Allison, you have been an amazing and important figure in Toronto for several years now, many, many years. You serve individuals and groups through your church and also, you know, it's not just the day-to-day care that you give and change lives, uh, individual lives within your own community, All Saints, but you have been fighting hard to change the system, the systems and the oppressive inequities that create and sustain such brutal living conditions for some of our most vulnerable. So I just wonder if you would just talk to us a little bit. You're the priest and director at All Saints, a corner of belonging at Dundas and Sherburne. It's a very special and vibrant community. And would you like to talk a little bit about that? Sure. And I, I'd like to say I'm just one of many people advocating for change in Toronto. I have a, an amazing staff and there are lots of amazing leaders who, uh, in fact, some were at City Hall only yesterday morning at 9 a.m., um, advocating for more shelter spaces, more beds, more housing, more indoor warm spaces. 
Um, so I, I'm at All Saints, as you said, which um, has been uh, for over 50 years a place that invites people in, people in need, and it's also been a center for community organizing. Right. Um, it has a an interesting history. It, it, uh, it we celebrated our 150th anniversary. Well, we're, I guess we're still celebrating it now. Right. It's uh, officially concludes in June. Uh, the church was uh, one of the first to not have pew rentals in the 19th century. Oh, right. Maybe, so, maybe you tell some of the listeners they might not know what oh, that yes, is. Oh, yes, of course. That's right. So believe it or not, people used to get charged to sit in a pew in church. Seems crazy And now, now. we can't pay them to come in. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So it was from the beginning a, a, a church where rich and poor mixed. Right. And uh, then, you know, the neighborhood around Dundas and Sherburne sort of fell on hard times as uh, the suburbs opened up. People moved away from downtown. The old mansions turned into rooming houses. Right, right. And, um, uh, and there was talk about, you know, selling the land, closing the church. And it's quite a beautiful building, as you know, because you've been there. Gorgeous. Um, and so kind of as a... Hail Mary pass. <laughs> um, it was like, why don't we just invite the neighbors in? And what so, a revolutionary <laughs> idea for churches. Can I you imagine. Know. I know. <laughs> so uh, the the priest at the time, Norman Ellis, uh, took out half the pews in the church and set up card tables and chairs, and you know, invited people in to smoke and play cards and drink coffee and have a cheap sandwich. And it's kind of been a gathering place ever since. That is incredible. So when when was that about? So that was around, no, 1970. There were actually sort of two drop-ins, as we call them, right. uh, on the property. And he opened the first one in the parish hall, uh, I want to say 1970. And then he opened the one in the nave, like the actual the church actual where church, the you yeah. know where the pews are yeah. uh, in 1971. Wow, that's phenomenal. And so it has been that really that that corner of belonging right there in the community for all that time. And that's what it is now. You go, you know, you go into All Saints and it, it is it's a beautiful beautiful building and uh, everything happens inside. There's no division between the sanctuary and the community center. Um, and I think that's so lovely. Yeah, what's interesting about it is I mean, I, there are certainly people who see the church as an institution, but it's for not sure. an institution in the way that schools and prisons are. <laughs> right. And so for people, you know, there are people my, who... My children might might object to that, <laughs> but yes, I agree with you, Allison. <laughs> it's not, it's actually, you know, a place with lots of nooks and crannies. Yeah. It's a wood uh, with warm brick. And so we actually get a lot of people just coming to sleep uh, right, because yeah. that's a place where they feel safe. Um, it's actually the only drop-in in the city where people are allowed to sleep during the day, and sleep deficit is a huge thing if you're if you're without a home to sleep in. Um, For sure, because of cold, because you have to stay aware of your surroundings, because the shelters are sometimes frightening, always noisy. Yeah. So yeah. that's wonderful. So they can actually come in, and people can come in and catch up on their sleep. How yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's part of what goes on. And then, you know, sometimes we might have someone playing the piano in the corner. Right. Uh, amazing, talented people walk through our doors. We serve breakfasts and lunch four days a week. Uh, and, uh, you know, we give out uh, clothing. We're a bit under siege for demands for clothing these days. Are you? Uh, just because there's such a great need. Um, we give out, uh, you know, harm reduction kits, 
um, hygiene kits, you name it. So right. one-stop shop, we like to think. <laughs> the the all-inclusive. That's right. The all-inclusive community experience. That's, right. That's wonderful. Now, I just want to convey, as so many in the city um, do have, um, our you know condolences about the loss of life in the fire that you had in December on the 12th, I think. That's right. Um, would you like to share a little bit? That was just devastating for, for the community, I know. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, the fire uh, broke out on the third floor. It was a pretty hot and severe fire. Apparently there were about 80 firefighters on the scene at one point. Uh, Firefighters from two different stations. And I mean, I have never been so grateful for firefighters in my life. Because they, without them, I mean, there were one person died tragically, but I mean, the potential for loss of life was was enormous. They were reviving people on the sidewalk. Wow. Yeah. They they even gave someone's cat oxygen. So the animals were saved too. That's so awesome. Yeah. All God's creatures, right? All God's creatures. That's right. But the third floor was quite severely damaged. And uh, so the, the people living on the third floor normally are all living in temporary accommodation. And it looks like they may be there for... Um, yeah, at least another six weeks uh, could be longer than that. So right. that's been really hard for people. So can you talk a little bit about what that is, that residence, like where it is and the, the property and how it's connected? to? Maybe you can just share with us like wh- what All Saints is, yeah. what kind of things, the structure and what, what it does. Yeah, and I'll give you a little bit of background too. So um, uh, there was a woman uh, in the 1980s named Drina Joubert who used to go to the All Saints drop-in, and um, uh, she froze to death right across the street oh, uh, in the van of um, uh, an old rooming house. That was in 1985. And then in short order, I think about six people froze to death in, in a short period of time, and it became a, a rallying cry for uh, housing over hostels was was the cry. Okay. And Can you that, explain what that meant? So hostels, it's funny, it's a phrase we don't use so much anymore, yeah. but it essentially is, a, you know, means shelters. Right. So at that time, All Saints had an over, functioned not only as a day shelter, as we would call it, but also an overnight shelter with hundreds of people sleeping on the right. floors of the church every night. And some of them had been there for five years, which is just crazy. So it was supposed to be temporary housing, but yes. people were not given the opportunity to find permanent housing. That's right. Okay. So a hostel would be a temporary place right. to live, but housing, permanent. So right. uh, that led to the building of All Saints Church Homes for Tomorrow, which is the building where we had the fire. So it's it's actually sort of physically attached to the church through yeah. a passageway. It's uh, has it's a 61 unit apartment building, single room, uh, single unit occupancy. Um, and what some people might not know is that um, until those those building until that period of time, um, single people were not eligible for affordable housing units in Toronto. Say again. Single people were not eligible for affordable housing so in they, Toronto. They literally were left on the street. Well, they, they and would rooming have, houses, yeah. right? So that they were completely shut out of any kind of government programming. It didn't matter if you were disabled or whatever. Right. So um, there was a huge movement. It also led to the city buying up uh, old rooming houses on Sherburne Street, right. which now form part of the Dan Harrison apartment buildings, uh, which is might even be one of the largest Toronto community housing developments in the city. Um, so All Saints Church Homes for Tomorrow has this 61-unit single-unit occupancy. which And so, I mean, there are 
a lot of people, I mean, there are, of course, homeless families and, you know, sure. couples and so on. But, For sure. um, you know, the vast majority of people are single. Right. And so this was quite revolutionary at the time. All Saints Church Homes for Tomorrow eventually uh, purchased and sort of renovated another building. So it's there's not just one, but the, yeah, that was the one where we had the fire. And um, so the and the drop in and the building are quite intertwined. Um, and so is the worshiping community, actually. Yes, yes. So, you know, there are people who live in the building. They come to the drop-in, you know, during the week, and then they come to church on Sunday. So it's 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 a very sort of holistic community, um, especially the – so the building is for people who have been living on the street. You can't move into the building if you already have an apartment. Right. So – and the kind of rule of housing people, I mean, you're, you're at most danger of becoming homeless if you've been homeless because – you know, quite often people get shuttled off to Scarborough or nothing wrong with Scarborough if you want to live there. But if your friends and all the services yeah. that you use are downtown, you're going to feel very isolated. So if people have been, you know, forming connections in our drop-in um, and or going to church, then if they move into this building, they're much more likely to remain housed because that's where they have their supports. Right. And it's a support network. I mean, you need to have like a variety of people that are, are supporting you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even when you're you know, in good times. That's right. right. That's <laughs> right. When you're in good times. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, this is the Radical Reverend Show on CIUT 89.5. My name is Christine Smaller, and I'm interviewing the Reverend Dr. Allison Falby, who is the priest and director at All Saints Community Center and Church. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that things are on their way um, for the fire, that, that they're people are going to be be able to get back in to um to their units that's really good i wanted to talk there's so many things i want to talk to you about allison oh my gosh um you're so amazing one of the things i wanted to talk about was because i don't as a faith leader myself i don't understand the connection between how faith communities serve in ways that you would think that the government should be serving hmm. um so i remember you know i remember back in the day in toronto going to sort of the first official food bank stop 103 and the talk even then was that this was just a temporary fix while the government got their act together and, and found some way to provide um you know nutrition to people um so i, I wonder if your thoughts on that in general what like it's kind of an uneasy partnership in my in my experience. And also, if you could talk about what it was like during COVID when all the, you know, that you were pretty much the only place open, that they the government just shut everything down and relied on faith communities. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So, yeah, the, the micro and the macro. Yes. So, yeah, I, I would say, um, yeah, so the micro piece is uh, that during mm. – the COVID-19 pandemic um, of the sort of 58, 59 uh, drop-ins across the city, many of which are funded by the city, um, almost all of them closed their doors. They, they still provided services like food to take away and all of that. So they, they did still provide support. But um, in terms of indoor space, there was a massive shortage of safe indoor space for people who were experiencing yeah. homelessness. Even though there were these hotels, which, you know, ended up being a bit of a blessing and a curse. It was, right. you know, because many, many people died in those hotels. Um, they, uh, it's, uh, having people live in individual apartments is not necessarily the safest 
way to get people off the streets. Can you say a little bit more about that? So, we... yeah, we, I mean, we're, what did someone call it, a tridamic the other day? <laughs> or that was, I think that was actually in reference to the confluence of flu, um, our, uh, RSV, RSV and, and COVID. COVID. But but I would say it was, it was already a tridemic uh, when COVID hit because we had COVID, we had the opiate crisis, and we had the homelessness crisis. Yeah. And um, so, you know, uh, also, COVID disrupted some of the supply chains and um, of the opioids. Of the opioids, yeah. that's right. And uh, just, you know, people were very isolated. Is isolation is one of the big things that leads to, you know, increased drug use. Um, uh, and there, I mean, I could, we could do a whole other show on misconceptions Let's around the it. use of drugs. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I'll sum it up in, in this line that I like to quote from Johan Hari, who's one of the uh, people who's written about this. And he said, the opposite of addiction isn't uh, sobriety, it's genuine human connection. Wow. Oh my gosh, I'm like, of course it is. Yeah. But that's yeah. not what we, as a society... No, we, we criminalize it. And yeah. I mean, so many people are, are self-medicating. They're suffering from trauma. Um, yeah. There are people who, who are functional who use drugs. It's I didn't believe it until I worked at All Saints, yeah. but it is true. And, you know, we've just gotten these guidelines about alcohol that came out today. Just shocking. So, yeah. Shocking. Yeah. To, to clergy, I can say that's shocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's So, you know, we all have, I mean, almost yeah. all of us, I would say, have something, right? that we need. Um, and uh, if we are deprived of human connection, you know, we may use that as a crutch. So these hotels, because people are being shuttled, you know, away from the areas they know, they're just being put into hotels with people they didn't know, and they were cut off from their connection. So is that what what helped fuel the opioid, the increased, Certainly devastating part, opioid Part of crisis. it, yes. Yeah. And, and uh, being in rooms by themselves, right? Right. Um, and so there have, even though we hear a lot about the dangers of encampments, way, few, way fewer people have died in encampments than in the hotels. And but they're visible to the public. Though. Yes. And, and, and the reason is that encampments are supportive communities where people actually, you know, watch each other. If they, you know, if someone overdoses, they're there with the, the naloxone to reverse yeah. the overdose and so on. I feel like we're getting way off, off base here. <laughs> so, no, no, it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll bring it back. No, still, that's important to know. And, yeah, yeah. That, so this, these are things that were happening during COVID is that even though there were these hotels, all Saints was still one of the yeah. only places that was providing a warm place to sleep. There was, yeah, there were about eight, uh, eight drop-ins. I would say um, remained or continued to have indoor space where people could go, and we received no government funding at all. None at all. So. Um, I will say that I think that enables us uh, to be nimble and to make decisions quickly. Right. And, so you know, there, we don't have policies being handed down from on high. Everyone must work from home or anything like that. Right. So that I think that was an advantage. But, yeah, I certainly I, I had my moments of resentment. Um, you know, we're, you it's know, just us here, Allison, you can be, <laughs> you can be Frank. I won't tell anybody. No. Well, you know, we were pretty tired. We were pretty tired. You were exhausted. I mean, you and your staff, you were exhausted. You were, you know, it was, you had a lot on your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to step back and give the micro or the macro, sorry, Do, yeah. uh, take, because, um, you know, as you know, in, in my previous a life. I was a historian. Allison and is an academic. You wouldn't know that from her sense of humor. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can say that on CIUT. <laughs> Academics can be funny sometimes. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, in 
in the 19th century, a, a lot of churches similarly, uh, you know, well, and earlier than the 19th century had, you know, ways to help people in need, sometimes in positive ways, sometimes in less positive ways, <laughs> right? right? Um, but certainly in, in the UK, um, there is a, a number of people make the argument that these sort of programs that were pioneered by uh, you know, churches uh, sort of paved the way for the welfare state. Right. And um, so well, even Sunday school paved the way for public school, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So and there are a number of examples of, you know, uh, organizations or programs that were started by you know, churches or religious organizations that then eventually, you know, were taken over by the state or, you know, funded by government. And and I we can get into a whole debate about neoliberalism and, you know, the sort of public-private <laughs> thing. It was Maybe very relevant time. today. But, um, but I, I, yeah, it makes me not give up hope, I would say. Right. Um, and then I, and I do think that there are, uh, there are benefits to working on the margins, as I say. You know, the ability to make, dec make decisions quickly. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, keeps us maybe a little bit real, more real because we're closer to the ground. We aren't sort of burdened down with bureaucracy in lots of ways. So, I mean, I can argue both sides. Right, right, right. And so are things better now? I mean, the, we're not post-pandemic in my mind, but mm -hmm. um, with the other uh, organizations and services opening, has that been helpful? Like, yes. what, what are things like there right now? It was pretty crowded when I was there this morning, yeah. um, but could be slightly due to the weather. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's at least people can go to malls, I guess. Right. But, you know, and but even we're still in the midst of a massive housing crisis. And now that, you know, the TTC is going to have outreach workers, you know, so-called outreach workers patrolling to get people out of there when there's nowhere for people to go, I actually think it's going to become worse. Yeah. Um, because the TTC, uh, as in most large cities, the public transit is kind of, a, you know, a secondary place for homeless folks to go. Yeah. Right? To yeah. ride the trains or the buses, stay yeah. warm, safe. Yeah. So... Yeah. The DEC has made, uh, you know, an intentional decision to not allow that to happen. That will yeah. have an impact. I mean, the sad thing is it, it's not the TTC's fault, right? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's our collective fault, really, that um, uh, there is not enough housing. But tossing people out of the TTC is not going to solve the problem. It's actually going to make it even more visible. Um, in other places. It was at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember it was discovered that a thousand people lived on the New York subway. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be curious to know what the number is now. And seriously, I mean, it, it's even during the pandemic, when there was nowhere for people to go, I'd be like, just go to Union Station. Honestly, yeah. it's warm, there's security, you'll be safe. You know, like, where where are people supposed to go and not freeze to death, honestly? Yeah, I know. Like, I would always have a list of, you know, the coffee shops, the 24-hour coffee shops that would let people sit or... yeah. Yeah, you know, even cleaning people up, helping them go to you know the airport and sit there for a day or something. Yeah, you that's know? right. Like you have to be so creative to find safe, warm places. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because outside is so in, especially in the winter, it's it's so dangerous. Like I don't think people understand how dangerous it is, and I know that through yeah. COVID, you had many many people in your community that lost digits, for example, yeah. lost fingers and toes, and um, you know that 
it's just so, so dangerous. The, the public does not see that. Yeah. And not just that, and also head injuries. I think this is, this is one of those very sort of under-the-radar issues. Um, a huge number of people uh, experiencing homelessness have suffered traumatic brain injuries. And right. sometimes it's the cause of the homelessness. Sometimes it's an effect. Right. Um, people get beaten up. On, they're more likely to be beaten up and their things stolen. Um, shelters can be dangerous places. They might, you know, get hit on the head in the shelter. Um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and do they get treatment? I mean, acquired brain injury is a very complex injury. Like, do, are they able to get treatment for that? No. I mean, it's, it's as I say, it's largely under the radio. I heard, I was at a workshop or maybe listening to a radio show, but I can't remember which. And someone said, we have two ways to treat traumatic brain injuries in this country, homelessness and prison. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, huge number, a percentage of people in prison um, who have often yeah. been homeless as well have suffered from brain injuries. And it's not because they're more likely to commit crimes. It's because they're more likely to not show up for their appointments. Right. Um, they are not likely to get a lawyer. They're going to agree to things that they shouldn't agree to. It's a sort of a series of, they, they lack the, you know, the, the frontal lobe decision-making process. Yeah. And um, I mean, there are resources out there, but you have to be organized <laughs> to take to advantage them. of the resources, right? Well, I think the people out there, folks out there who are listening to this, who are well housed and have all sorts of privileges, including um, financial resources, know how difficult it is to get medical care. Yes. In this province right now, uh, so hundreds of thousands of people without a family doctor. And I, when I read those statistics, I'm thinking, I don't think they're including homeless folks no. or folks on the marginalized. So, like, there's hundreds of thousands of people that aren't be able to get, you know, care for for anything, let alone complex issues. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do, like, when folks come into All Saints and there's clearly those kind of injuries? And I know that happened during COVID. Yeah. Um, like, what what does your staff do? How do they approach so we, it? So we have a full-time nurse on staff, uh, for which I'm very grateful right. to... Uh, the Gattuso Foundation for uh, helping fund that position at the, uh, for the time being. Um, uh, we also were part of a, a pilot project uh, that was uh, had started by Inner City Family Health uh, in partnership with Unity Health, where we have sort of um, uh, various uh, visiting service provider team on uh, Wednesday afternoons. Right. And so there's sort of a, a number of different supports that people can make use of. Um, but you know, there's there's only so much our nurse can do for for people with traumatic brain injuries. I mean, it's, you kind of have to act like their their frontal lobe as, as, is how one of the workshops. So put is that it. like the executive function? Yes. kind of. Yes. Yeah. So, so to help them show for appointments, yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it 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 does require a lot of support, and there's only you know so much support that that we can give. But I do think having services all in one place where you don't need an appointment right. is very helpful. And so that's kind of, that's, you know, it's called a drop-in because you can drop in. Right. You don't need an appointment. It's low barrier. <laughs> and so that's kind of our MO. That's awesome. Yeah. So what else do you need there? What would you add if you could? Oh my goodness. Well, I would love to have um, an ex a medical examination room because <laughs> that would enable us to have a doctor on site as well. We currently, we have a small nurse's office. Right. Um, and we can't, like under the rules, where such as they are of Ontario Healthcare, we can't ha have a, a doctor in there unless we have a proper examination room. Right. So that's kind of on our wish list. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. 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 Excellent. 
Well, we're going to take a break, a short break, for some music here. Uh, this is the Radical Reverend Show. I'm Christine Smaller talking to Allison Falby, and we will be right back. Views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. CIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. And we're back. It's the Radical Reverend Show, and I am talking to Reverend Dr. Allison Falby. So good to have you here. Allison, I would love it if you would be willing or comfortable to share about the people that are part of this really vibrant and close-knit community. Yeah, yeah. It's... um, I don't even know where to start, but, you know, the best... 
stories I've heard in my life really are the stories of people at All Saints. And uh, we try to share them in, in, you know, some of the materials that we sent out. So maybe I'll, I'll just start by sharing. I, I don't want to share stories without people's permission. But, right. So these are, these are ones that I do have permission to share. So I want to tell you a bit about Janice. Okay. Um, everybody knows Janice. Like, she is on a first-name basis with our MPP, Kristen Wong-Tam. <laughs> right. um, she's on a first-name basis probably with the mayor. Everybody knows her. She's lived in the neighborhood for I don't know, at least 30 years. And she herself has experienced homelessness. Um, she has experienced poverty. Uh, she lives in the Dan Harrison Apartments, um, Toronto Community Housing, which is not in great shape. But she sort of has this amazing spirit and amazing mm. smile that uh, makes her a real natural connector. Right. So, you know, as I say, she knows, everybody knows her, but she also knows everybody. And it really... Um, uh, that that gift became so important during COVID because so many people were dying mm. and she was the one who kept track of everybody. Oh my gosh. And it was really hard to get information because the city, I'm sure the city does keep statistics. Well, I think they have to keep statistics on who dies in the shelters, but they don't release the names. And um, so we had all these deaths mounting up and it was really hard to find out you know, who had died. But Janice kind of had this gift for knowing who it was. And not only that, and this is, I think, where the faith piece comes in. So she is part of our Sunday congregation, in addition to being a daily volunteer. And I mean, she volunteers for every organization in the neighborhood. She's kind of one of these wow. amazing people. Um, she took it upon herself to make sure we had memorials for everyone who died. And she would, you know, pester me about it until we did it. And it's and, so, and what did they look like? What do those memorials look like? So, um, you know, we're a church, but I, I would only have a sort of Christian memorial service for people who, you know, I knew that they shared the Christian faith. Right. Otherwise, I kind of developed sort of various templates and prayers. And because of COVID, we would have them in the parking lot, so outside, and we would gather right. in a circle and light candles and, you know, so say some prayers, um, sing some songs, um, share our memories, um, and, uh, you know, everyone deserves that dignity. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's something I'm so glad our community has been able to offer, and, but we couldn't have done it without Janice. Wow. And um, so I, I, yeah, and I think uh, the gifts of people uh, who've lived on the street um, and or live in poverty are so often overlooked by, you know, middle-class people and the church also right yeah absolutely um and uh so i i just i'm really glad to be in a community where people's gifts can you know not just be used but i think uh well be gift be exercised as gifts yeah. right as a kind of grace to the to the community well so. and they're so needed right like that's yes. the other sort of these middle class values is that you know to come in and tell people what they need to do in order to become healthy and to suppress, like, what is there, the gifts that are there. Yeah. The amazing community spirit that is yeah. there. But I wanted to, and I also, and I, I know you've met him before, he's the push-up king. Yes. Well, we shared him as a congregant, I think, when I was in, I was uh, in a downtown church. That's too. right. I remember back when we were in school. We That's would, right. We both loved him. Yes. 
He could liven up any service. <laughs> so David the Push-Up King, uh, well, he's, he's not striving to be the Push-Up King anymore. He now says it was all about vanity. Um, oh, so he how was spiritually perceptive. I know. That's so he, awesome. he was, he was, when I first met him, which was, you know, 15 years ago, he was on track to doing something like 10,000 pushups a day, wow. uh, and trying to get in the Guinness book of world records. And he's buff. Yes. Like he's buff. And he, the man is yeah. over 60. Now. Yeah. He looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, see he, but he's just, I mean, he still, you know, does his pushups and, but it's not about that anymore. He now it's his mission to bless people. Oh, how fantastic. And so he, now, and I'm sure it, it strikes some people as a bit quirky and weird, but he just goes around the city coming up to people and saying, bless you. Wow. And I find that really powerful. It is powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, he also has, um, you know, a, a, a number of our staff and community members have kind of marveled at his his kind of perceptive gifts, you know, he sort of has this gift for knowing when people are unwell or wow. ill and, you know, says he'll pray for them. And it is, it's, it's some of our, st and our staff who are not, you know, necessarily believers, they find it almost spooky. <laughs> yeah. People do find faith spooky. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Yeah. <laughs> is it the resurrection or is it the zombie apocalypse? Exactly. I don't know. And you know, why we don't do binary about these things. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. those are those are just a, a few stories. And I, I think I think uh, some people would be surprised by how gifted our people are in our community. Like, as I say, the piano, I mean, the things that people play, the art that people make, um, the experiences that they've had. I mean, it all kind of shows you that anyone can become homeless it, it really oh, is absolutely um, yeah you know there i i don't want to say there for, but for the grace of god go i because that that makes it sound like it's god god's grace favorites. that keeps us yeah, right which is that. not what i mean i hate that but it's, yeah but I, I know I, but i know what you mean it's, we're all but, a paycheck away from yeah there but for yeah. luck i yeah. think would be the more apt way to put it well it's, or, it's privilege too yes. right like it's the color of our skin yes. and our family background and all that kind of thing too but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, I mean, that's why you know, I encourage people to come into all sorts of communities because they have no idea until they come in mm -hmm. what it's like to be there. So All Saints, for example, you know that I come whenever I can. Yes. I just love being there. Yeah. Um, it's it is vibrant, it's welcoming, it's it's exciting. There's always things going on, yeah. like yeah. great conversations. Yeah. There's your beautiful garden and yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's amazing. So what is, um, so I want to know, I do want to ask you what called you into a life of faith. So I'll leave that up to you if you choose to share that, because it's sometimes difficult to talk about our calls to, to a life of faith, but I would love to hear that. And, but also your call to your vocation, like your call to faith leadership, you were, um, you were a historian, a professor, you know, you were on a very particular path and, you know, it's the words that we would use that I would use, you know, God called you to something very different. And, you know, I feel that, um, I mean, I know that you're called to this life, but I feel that it's a joyful life for you. Mm -hmm. It's hard. You, yes. you, it's hard and exhausting and it's, it's devastating and disappointing um, and scary sometimes, but I just, you, for me, you are a beacon of 
faithful, meaningful joy. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I was an academic before, and I mean, what I, I really enjoyed teaching, I enjoyed research, I enjoyed mm -hmm. writing, but I always sort of felt something was missing. And I even remember looking at, you know, the vocational diaconate, which we have in the Anglican Church. So it's, you know, And what's that? I, so you, it, you're ordained as a deacon, so you can't do all the magic hand stuff. Oh, that so the you clergy keep your do. real life? <laughs> yes, you keep your, and you don't get paid. <laughs> you don't get paid. That was right. the, what, the real stumbling block for me. It's like, I'm not doing that. Um, so, uh, and I, you know, and I remember, I, I mean, I, thought about it, you know, every once in a while, and then I think, oh, I don't want anyone phoning me in the middle of the night. That was kind of like the stumbling block. And then, you know, I think I talked to people in ministry, and they said, well, that doesn't actually happen that often, really. But then you found out it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. The night of the fire. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, it's, I mean, it's funny following on Martin Luther King For Jr. Sure. Day. Uh, because it was, I did have one of those moments. And I, and the I. The mountaintop I, moment. The mountaintop moment. Yeah. But I, and I think. Those moments are watersheds more than catalysts. At least mine was. I, there was yeah, a whole, like a revelation. Kind yeah, of, yeah. you have to kind of create the conditions for um, you know God to speak to you. Is how if I or speak speak to me anyway. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I was I was away from home. I was at a conference in Atlanta, and I decided to go to uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. Museum in Atlanta, which I highly recommend to anyone. Yeah. And. Um, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a, at the time I was there, it was a bit of an old fashioned museum in that so much of it was text. But I, I mean, of course he was a man of the word, right? PhD, uh, yeah, 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 beautiful so writer, academic. Yeah. speeches, uh, you know, emblazoned on the walls. And there was this, the funny thing is I can't even remember what the quote was, but I stopped in front of one particular quote. And it was something about, you know, the, the most urgent question you must ask yourself oh. is, you know, what am I doing for the world? It was to that, something like that. And I thought to myself, you know, I think I could do a lot more for the world as a priest than I will wow. as an academic. So, um, and then I just sort of sat with that. And um, yeah, so here I am, wow. <laughs> X number of years later. So, and then it, the call to priesthood, you know, it's a diverse, you can end up in all sorts of things, but your your vocation, your vocational context is unusual mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a priest. Um, so can you talk about your call to All Saints? Now you were a student mm. there. Yes. So you got to know and love the community, and then you went away and you were a priest other places. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I yeah I I started off doing a student placement at All Saints, and then I worked there in the drop-in. Um, about, uh, I can't remember the exact dates, but around, starting around 15 years ago. And, um, and I just, the people, they keep it real, you they know? They sure do. Like I still, the push-up king, I remember after my first sermon, <laughs> he told me that I was too much of an academic uh, and I needed to speak <laughs> less formally and, you know, change my posture, I think was the, were the other. Great advice, yeah. eh? Yeah. Like, great advice. And um, it just, it's, it, it's. Yeah, it blew me away to kind of see how people lived their faith every day. Yeah. Um, the the priest who was there at the time, uh, who I admire, still admire greatly, Jeannie Lockery, she said, you know, this congregation walks the cross every day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the hardship that, I mean, the racism, the discrimination, the prejudice that people put up, like, 
you know, there are people who glare at poor people on the bus, yeah. you know, um, and and it's hurtful. Um, you know, it's uh, the stories that I hear that people experience on an everyday basis is just, you know, it's I'm amazed they're still walking around, you know, um, and their faith. They it is obvious that their faith helps them keep walking. Right. around. And um, so is that because, you know, because it can be so destroying to have people despise you, obviously. Right. So, I mean, what is it about faith? Is it that, you know, we're, we're told that we're made in God's image, that we're beloved, like just as you know, I was listening to that, that speech, yes. MLK's speech, and he was talking about that, like yeah. we're all beloved God's children, all made in the image of God and all worthy of dignity and respect. I think, I think that is it. I think that um, there is, a, and especially many, <clears throat> excuse me, many people are cut off from their own families. Right. And it's interesting, the family metaphor is a bit controversial in the church, but I would say for my community, this notion that they are a family of choice, yeah. that is beloved, that um, transcends space and time, um, is part of the glue that holds them together. So it's not actually just the the being a beloved child of God in in your mind, in your spirit, but it's actually feeling that in the community and having that sense of belonging, a place where you belong, right? Where you can Absolutely. go and feel safe and loved and cherished. As you are. As you are. Yeah, I know. I think one of the letters you have on the, something you wrote on the website was uh, about being an empathetic witness. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing is that if we're not seen, there's, you know, so many people are invisible in society. Like to not be, to walk through the world not being seen um, is, it's just, it is soul destroying, mm-hmm. you know, to be invisible. So to be witnessed to mm-hmm. in a community that is safe and welcoming is so mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, and so we do, as I think, you know, during the sermon time, I don't preach a traditional sermon. It's, it's more of a discussion or dialogical preaching is how we would describe it in academic <laughs> right. terms. It's a dialogue back and forth. And, you know, sometimes people use that time to get things off their chests about. So when I talk about that's the, what prayers for, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, it was like that someone was, you know, pissed off that someone spilled their coffee on her on the bus and didn't apologize. And, you know, yeah, that's. Yeah, but that's something being, to bring to God. But also to have other people say, "Yeah, that really sucks," yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it, it in a community where everyone is suffering, it can be sometimes hard to find um, someone else to hear your story of suffering. Right. Too. I think that's the other there, and having a specific place for that, like a sacred space where that can be held, um, and yeah, just held and witnessed, and. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Held and and it's just comforted, I guess. Yeah, uh, all of those yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. It's the Radical Reverence Show for those of you who have just tuned in, and I'm Christine Smaller talking to the Reverend Dr. Allison Falby, and we are here on CIUT 89.5. The Radical Reverence Show is found here every week, every Tuesday morning from 11 till noon. Yeah, so I think that the faith, the faith component is is something that brings um, a depth to the community. That's my experience, and you know, not just you know numbers to be served. So 
what is it like? I know that you're very involved in all sorts of networks and and you know partnerships, um, organizations of you know activists. So what is it like working with the other faith leaders in the city? And how like can you tell us is it is it quite is there is it quite multi faith you know multi faith or? Yeah, uh, it's. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's faith leaders, and not just faith leaders, but also community leaders. Right. Uh, and COVID was kind of, for me, certainly has brought an unprecedented period of, of kind of collaboration, uh, people coming together, you know, to advocate. And I actually should say something else about what brought me back to All Saints, which is that I really do think this is the work of the church. I don't think that this should be the work of my community only. I think this should right. be the work of every community, welcoming Amen. welcoming in people who you know are who are in need, um, seeing one it's another. It's kind face of to in face. the Bible, <laughs> kind of yes. Like it's kind of right there, like everywhere. That yes. that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes, yes. So um, yeah, I, I throw that down as a challenge, I guess. Um, Do it. But and we're also called to justice, right? To yeah. justice work. Uh, you know the. Wi- Defending the widow, the poor, and the orphan, Um, you know, do justice, walk mercy, um, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, all of that. Um, So, yeah, it's, I I would say that I probably haven't done quite as much multi-faith work um, as I would like, partly because the, the other denominations or, you know, in my neighborhood tend to be Christian. Right. Um, So, although I I will point to uh, the wonderful uh, Rafi Aaron, who uh, has is Jewish and is the head of the Interfaith Coalition Against Homelessness. It's been wonderful getting to know him and working with him during COVID. Um, And and I will say, in some ways, this work is it's so urgent. All sometimes I feel like all we have time to do is show up. Yeah. Um, Whether it's uh, to demand more shelter beds, uh, to ask, you know, demand more indoor spaces, uh, whatever it is. Right. You know? Um, so, uh, I know we're all doing our bit. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to look up and, you know, see who else is doing the work, right? Because you're, you know, you're working so hard and fast. It is an urgent task. What is it that you would want people to know about, you know, homelessness oh gee um well it's (laughs) it's a crisis if you haven't noticed yeah um and it's a crisis that is getting worse um it is also i think something that i think we have up until this moment in time many of us have been able to say oh well that's something that happens to someone else right but, you know, as with inflation, with um, the crazy, you know, cost of housing in this city, it is not like something, insane. Yeah, you know, and, and privilege can insulate you to a certain extent, but, you know, only so much. And it's, it's coming for us all. It is. So, um, I, yeah, I think even if, even if people don't have the heart <laughs> to look at someone, you know, in need and think, yes, this person needs a place to live, out of self-interest, people should yeah. be doing something about the housing crisis. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and I understand that there's going to be a demonstration of protests coming up. Uh, there's there's always a demonstration there's always of protests five, coming up. You're right, you're right. Yeah, um, but there's the one that you want to tell us about. Yeah, so um, I mentioned earlier uh, Drina Joubert, the woman who froze to death across the street from All Saints in 1985, and her name became this rallying cry for you know, housing over hostels. Um, so on that very site where she died, uh, uh, there is a proposal to build a 47-story condo. Uh, like at Dundas and Sherburne? At Dundas and Sherburne, yes. 47 stories? The last ungentrified corner of Toronto, yes. That's insane. Kingset Capital uh, bought the property and, and put together this, this beautiful proposal, which includes the All Saints parking lot as the promenade leading up to the building. Did you the sell building. the parking lot I, to them? No, no, the parking lot is not for sale. Oh, interesting. They've just taken it over. <laughs> it's, anyway, it's in the sketch. Um, and, you know, a lot of the condo spaces in Toronto are empty. I, 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 I Regardless of... The, the business side of things, which to me seems a bit crazy, it also doesn't make any sense given the need, the urgent need in the community for um, affordable housing. Yeah. And, you know, so many neighborhoods are saying not in my backyard. We're actually saying yes, yes. in my backyard. <laughs> like, literally, this is our backyard and yeah. we want this housing here. And... Um, I, and it all it does seem like a bit of an offense to the memory of Drina Joubert and the many people who have died Absolutely. on that corner. There are many people who have died on that corner. I'd love to make a list sometime, actually. Um, and that, yeah, so do you really want to build your, your 47-story condo over a cemetery? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. And so the demonstration will be? Demonstration on uh, February 13th at City Hall, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, February mm -hmm. 13th, everybody. So come out and show your support uh, February 13th at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's been so great talking to you. So I do want to share, we've got a couple minutes left. So Allison, we've done a lot of fun things together. We have. <laughs> Maybe not what other people would think was fun, like going to preaching conferences <laughs> and silent retreats and stuff True. like that. But we found them fun. And one of the things we did together is we took stand-up comedy at Second City and and you did a set at uh, at not Yuck Yucks at the at the show the comedy club. You did a yeah. full set. I happened to be away, so I couldn't do it. But uh, so, what was that like for you? Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It was great. It made me a better preacher. Yeah. Uh, and this, yeah, I mean, I I suggest yeah anyone who who it wants to learn how to be a better speaker. It's it's especially academia. You know, you when you're writing. You kind of tend to lead up to your, uh, or you tend to sort of state your idea at the beginning and then you flesh it out. Yeah. And then in preaching, it's actually the reverse. You're kind of leading up to, you're sort of taking right. people along this journey. And I, yeah. that comedy really kind of helped with that. It really helped. Yeah. Um, but also, it's, yeah, it's, I think, you know, if you can't find joy in life, what are we here for? I mean, life, yeah. joy. It's, yeah. they're really intertwined. Yeah. So what do you think about humor? Like, where, where does it fit into to, to a life of faith? Because, <sighs> as, like, I just, as I say to my people often, like, you know, why would anyone be, want to be a Christian if they think that they have to, like, always frown and grumble all the time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, you've got to look like, you know, that it's a good thing to be a person of faith, that you get something very meaningful yeah. and joyful out of it. Well, and I, th I think of one of the most joyful people of faith um, I've ever seen is Desmond Tutu. Oh, yes. Um, oh, my gosh, yes. And, 
when he died, uh, someone said uh, that one of his distinguishing characteristics was that he was full of himself in a good way. <laughs> you know, that he knew he was this beloved, cherished child of God. Right. And he reveled in that. Right. And that's what gave him this joy. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll illustrate that with a, an anecdote. As I met someone who had been his, who had gone to divinity school with him in London, England. Oh, wow. And apparently whenever they were out walking uh, in London, um, uh, Desmond Tutu would pretend to be lost and go up to a police, <laughs> whenever he saw a police officer and he would ask him for directions. And his friend was like, why do you always do this? And he said, I just want to hear a police officer call me sir. <laughs> I just that demand for respect, yeah. but in with a twinkle, kind of. I just I love that, and uh, and it's turning the you know the the kingdom upside down in it, for right? Sure, yeah. Um, the kingdoms of the world and making the kingdom of yeah. heaven real, and that is a joyful thing, absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, even if we're just on the mountaintop, not yeah. seeing the fullness of the kingdom, it's those those moments of joy are those glimpses of the kingdom. And that's what keeps me going. I think so. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I know that in your community, in many of our communities, there's lots of of laughter, um, even in difficult times, you yeah. know, where uh, there's still lots of laughter. And I think about the you know, with with Tudu, and I, I, it was somewhere with the Dalai Lama, and they were they were they were telling uh, they were telling each other jokes. Yes, they were not great jokes. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> but it was so funny, like like you know, hearing them tell jokes. Yeah, so important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I as you know, I think that Jesus was quite funny. I think that he he found a way to use humor to completely to be subversive in a very powerful way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that indeed it was an, an upside. He wanted to turn the world upside down. Yeah. And see the first to be last and the last to be first. So yeah. that's awesome. Well, it's been so great to have you. Have you any final comments you want to share with us? Yeah. I mean, a, a, the structure of a joke is to turn things upside down. That's so right. Let's turn the world upside let's down. Let's turn the world upside down. So don't forget... Uh, February 13th, 10 a.m. at City Hall. Uh, be there to support uh, this this issue of, uh, you know, let's let's affordable try housing. affordable housing, try and deal with homelessness in a in an effect, an efficient, effective and dignified way. So thank you very much, Allison. And I hope we My can pleasure. talk again soon. Bye. Excellent. Travel so hard, ooh, Lord, travel so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Ooh, Lord, travel so hard, ooh, Lord, travel so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God.
Sisters Cat 